Welcome to You Influence Podcast, where you will hear everything you need to learn how to be a man or woman of influence for the better in your personal and professional life, in business, at work, and in your social life. Becoming a person of positive influence has an invaluable effect in ways we cannot imagine, but can only be felt in personal fulfillment. All right. Welcome to our first episode with interviews. Today I have a very special guest, and there's a reason why this uh, gentleman is actually the very first guest on our um, episode on our podcast. You influence. If you haven't heard about this uh, podcast already, my name is Rafael Mavi. I own a company called Unplugged Influence that specializes in leadership development uh, and training and growth strategies for small to medium-sized businesses. We launched this podcast just about a week ago, and uh, the way the podcast is going to run is basically uh, once a week you're going to hear from me, and then once a week you're going to hear from somebody special as a guest speaker on this uh, podcast. And today I have none other than Ed Terranova. Ed Terranova was actually uh, my very first and most impactful mentor on my entrepreneurship uh, journey. And uh, this interview suits the, uh, the title of the podcast very well because we're talking about you know being influenced and then you being the influencer in the marketplace, in your family life, and with your friends, in situations, anywhere you go. Uh, but it doesn't happen by accident. Everything happens for a reason and it happens uh, by design so you could be the better version of yourself than you thought you were. And when I left my corporate profession at the age of 24, I believe I was, you know, um, I met a gentleman who happened to introduce me at that time to Eddie. Now, I didn't know who Eddie was. All I knew about him is that how he looked in front of the room doing uh, meetings, events, and also his uh, eloquency and his professionalism when he was speaking to people. Right. And again, things happen for a reason. I thought the person who introduced me to Eddie was going to be my mentor. But what that person did was actually he pushed me over the edge when I was a young, dumb, 24, wimpy kid who just left corporate America and didn't know what the heck was going to happen. But all I knew is that I didn't want what I already had. That was enough for me to move forward. And I hear a lot of people you know, talk about these days. How, oh, you know, don't push me to do this. You know, you don't need to be that aggressive, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? Maybe they're right. But in my opinion, in my experience, it depends on the personality. Some people need to be pushed because they don't know where the heck they are. And if you make that decision to be a little more aggressive because you only believe in what you believe in, you will never know what that person is capable of. That's why I, one of the words that I hate in the English vocabulary, and by the way, my vocabulary is not that rich. I'm an immigrant. Uh, but one of those words is potential because potential is untapped energy. And if you don't put pressure on that potential, you will never know what that person is capable of. So um, Eddie was actually um, was somebody that I not only looked up to, but I had a chance to work with closely for a little over five years and to be honest, that five years, now that I'm looking at it and based on all the experience and everything that I've gained um, by working with Eddie, actually seems like a, a, over a decade worth of knowledge. You know, this man uh, not only influenced me in business, but he influenced me in public speaking. The reason why I started doing speaking is because of him. 
this is uh, one of those moments where you push me. You push me over the edge when I hated public speaking. I didn't know how to do it. You know, I mean, like, I, I'm just going to be very transparent on this episode, Eddie. I had to run to the bathroom for two freaking years every time there was a meeting before I started the meeting. I'm not even kidding. It, it was insane. It was ridiculous. But I had to do it, number one, I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of a mentor. Number two, I didn't want to lose my business. And number three, I was just too stupid to quit. You know, I'm like, well, if other people can do it, why can't I? You know, so I didn't understand at that point, you know, the, the phrase give up. I, I didn't want to give up. It was, like, it was not even an option in my mind. Financially, yeah, there was an option, but in my mind, there was no option. So, uh, and also, I don't know if Eddie, you know this or not, but through your mentorship and through your guidance, through your influence, you actually influenced a lot of decisions that I was making in my personal life, including my marriage. And at some point, uh, I'm going to be, again, very transparent. At some point, based on what I've learned from you, that actually saved my marriage as well. Wow. And, and, and my wife knows that. So I'm honored to have you as a guest. Uh, I know there's a, a lot of wisdom in that head of yours. Um, <laughs> and wisdom comes from experience. Yeah, we, we, we know that. So I know we can spend a day or two chatting, uh, but you know, it is an episode on a podcast. Uh, I do have a series of questions, but again, we're going to keep it as a conversation like because I want our listeners to experience and to get the most value from you, uh, you know, just a portion of what I've received from you over the years. So, um, Eddie, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you, Roth, and, and, and I'm honored that, uh, that you, you, you have put me up on this pedestal that I didn't, I didn't realize I've influenced you as much as I have, but that's... You uh, definitely have. Oh, I forgot to mention one key thing. You, uh, Eddie was actually also a contributing author uh, to one of the uh, series of books that everybody's familiar with, and that is the, uh, the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. So he's one of the contributing authors. He's a former uh, New York City firefighter who was actually on um, active duty during 9-11. You know, we'll get into that, and that all has to do with influence. And um, wh what I want to start with is who were you growing up between – let's say the ages of 10 and 18. I, I was a kid that wanted to prove everybody wrong. I was a real small kid, you know, and I, and I, and I loved sports and I wanted to play football and my mom was afraid I would get hurt and everybody always tell me you're too small. And so whenever somebody told me I couldn't do something, I always wanted to prove to them that I could do it. And that's who I really was. I, wa I was a good kid. I was a, a quiet kid, but I also uh, – I really didn't have a, a focus. I, I, uh, when I was in school, I was kind of a little bit of a goofball, but I didn't concentrate on my studies at all. And I was a C student right throughout high school. And um, if, you will, if you will, let me just tell this quick story. I, I was in high school and I was an athlete. Right? I wanted to go on and play college football. And uh, I got thrown off the track team. And the reason why I got thrown off the track team was I failed two subjects. One was biology. That's understandable. But what, you, know, you know, how does an athlete, I played basketball, baseball, football, red track. How does an athlete fail gym? Two unprepared by being unprepared twice. So this track coach threw me off the track team. And every day at lunchtime, he was the lunch monitor for my lunchroom. I wouldn't even look at the guy. I turned my head the other way. I wouldn't even look at him. I hated him. He threw me off the track team, right? So uh, one day he pulls me out of the lunchroom. And I remember it like it was yesterday. He goes, Terranova, how could you fail? 
How could you fail? You're not stupid. He said, all you have to do is show up, pay attention, and do your work. Just show up, pay attention, and do your work. Well, here I am a junior in high school, not knowing if I'm really smart enough to go to college, but wanting to go to college because I wanted to play football. So what I did was I applied those three principles. Just show up, pay attention, and do your work. Do what you're supposed to do. And I went from a C student to an A student, went to college, played football in college, made the dean's list, just by applying those three little principles. Just show up, pay attention, and do what you're supposed to do. So that is what my childhood was like. And that, that's really, that, that little thing right there made all the difference in the world, maybe from being average and ordinary, just, just getting by, just going through the motions to becoming a top performer. That is so stupid simple. Show up, pay attention, do the work. I mean, those three things, that's applicable to everything. Everything. Work, business, personal life, marriage, being a parent, whatever, whoever. Very simple. That is so simple and people overlook that. Wow. Okay. And uh, what about um, your background? Who influenced you as Eddie Terranova growing up? You my have dad was my biggest influence. Okay. You know, when I was in high school, he was reading a book called Think and Grow Rich. A lot of us know about that book. And the, the amazing thing is a lot of people don't. You know, you, I could speak in front of an audience of 100 people and say, how many people have read Think and Grow Rich? And it's only a small percentage. And the funny thing about that is, depending on the demographic, if you ask that question to C-level executives, they've all, they've all read it. You know, successful people have read that book. It's, a, it, it's, it's second to the Bible. It's the most influential book in my life, Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So my dad was reading that when I was in high school, and uh, he would feed me these quotes. And he, was, he gave me a book called Winners Never Quit and Quitters Never Win. And it was all about the great Vince Lombardi, the coach of the Green Bay Packers. You know, incredibly influenced my life. You know, little, just little concepts, little ideas. In, in that book by Napoleon Hill, the most famous quote that people are familiar with is, whatever the mind perceives and believes, it can achieve. And these little things that my dad influenced me with, and he, would, he, would, he was a world-class athlete. He was a, he was a professional singer-entertainer. He was just a very charismatic individual. And, um, and my dad has probably, you know, probably influenced me the most when it comes down to business concepts, being of a positive mindset as opposed to a negative mindset. So, uh, you know, I'm eternally grateful for, for his guidance. That's awesome. And I actually, um, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I had a chance to uh, meet your dad um, years back. Great man. He was a singer, I think. I think I, uh, I heard him uh, sing at one of the parties. Yeah, he, he was. Sang. I mean, he toured the country singing. He cut records, and you know, he owned. He was. He owned a catering catering halls, and he would always sing with the band, be the master MC. And you know, I was blessed to to spend so much time with him. He was really a special individual. Was that the catering hall um, in Brooklyn, or was that in Jersey? Yeah, he, he stood in. Well, he had. He started out. Um, the first catering hall he owned was in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. And then uh, I went into partnership with him on one in Staten Island, New York. But yeah, so wow. I, 
I got to spend weekends with my dad. I was a waiter. You know, I started out, he had me start out at like 10 years old in the kitchen, scrubbing pots and pans, and they would pay me a quarter per pan. And these pans were these big pans that you would put big slabs of prime ribbon, and they had stuck grease and grime, and you had to scrub them, and they would pay me, you know, the guys in the kitchen would pay me a quarter per pan. And you were 10? And I was 10, yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> okay. So fast forward, uh, when you went to college, what did you major in? I majored in communications. Um, broadcast journalism was my, my specialty, yeah. Did you use that in education? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I did an internship at a place called Cross Country Cable. And coming out, of, coming out of college, I got married right away. So I started my own video production business. And that was, uh, you know, the first business I owned. And that was very profitable, very, uh, very enjoyable, too. Okay. You know, now that you mentioned uh, video production, you guys um, shot events and weddings, right? Yep. I remember you um, sharing a story of where you would do these brief interviews at the end of the wedding, and you asked the the bride and groom to say a couple of things, right? It was something about commitment, or uh, we try. What, what was that? Can you share? Yeah, that? It was kind of really sad in a way. That, uh, you know, words, and this is what we learned, is that, that words can kill and words can breathe life. And you have to really guard your attitude and think about what you're saying because at the end of the wedding, I mean, think about this. This is like the pinnacle, right? This is like the biggest day of a, of a woman's life. You know, they dream about this and the, and the white gown and all that kind of stuff. And at the end, I would get the bride and groom together and I'd say just, you know, say a little something nice to each other and uh, we're going to videotape it and then we're going to fade it out and, you know, it's going to be a nice ending. So, uh you know, the majority of the time, believe it or not, they would say things like, wow, this was a great day. I only hope that the rest of our life can be like this. Oh, good. Man, that's terrible. You know, to, to, put that, uh, to put that word in there, hope, like I hope that the rest of our life, that means that you're allowing, you're allowing failure, that it, it may happen or it may not. And we wonder why, you know, such a majority, such a, such a, a large amount, I don't know if it's more than half or half of marriages end in divorce. And it's because people aren't really committed. You know, they enter into it kind of like it's a dating process. And now, hey, we're going to get married. But, you know, if you do something wrong or I don't like you and you don't like me, and you know, it, 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 it could be over. And I'll never forget a priest that I was videotaping one of these weddings that said something that was so profound. He said, you know, there's going to be times when you know you're right and your, your spouse, your wife or your husband is not going to see it the way you do, but you know you're right and you're going to have to compromise for the sake of peace. And wow. that's life. Man, nothing works out exactly the way you hope it would. Nothing. Nothing is perfected. Nothing is – everything has its challenges and you have to be willing to compromise for the sake of peace. That's why Debbie and I are married 36 years now. <laughs> oh, wow. God bless you. So is it, would you say it's a commitment to each other? It's a commitment uh, to the vows? Or is it a commitment to the future growth together? Because that's the opposite of hope, the way I look at it. Is like if you commit, nothing else matters. Like you don't notice all this bullshit mistakes or bullshit um, you know, errors and judgment and uh, who's right, who's wrong, because the, the bigger picture is bigger. Right. And so, you know, I've created some philosophies in that 36 years of marriage that I think could be beneficial to some men. 
and, and, and that is this, you know, for me, um, I give in to my wife 90% of the time. If we disagree on something, I'm going to go along with her 90% of the time. And a lot of this stuff I just hand over to her. It's not, it's not important. What, how she decorates the house, what the color of the carpet is, I can give a hoot less. She, she's got good taste. I have different tastes. I have better taste than her. <laughs> Honestly, I do. I, I got to tell you, she buys me clothes, right? And then I buy my own clothes, and I get complimented on the clothes I buy for myself. You know, but she thinks it, that, 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 that she's, she's better at that. But, but I give in on that stuff because it's not important. But I reserve that 10% for my battleground where I stand firm. So she knows when, when, when I say no and I, I come across only, I'm doing this. This is where it's going. This is what's going to happen. You know, failure is not an option. And so we could go into a whole bunch of stuff regarding that. But my, but my, my marriage, I think, um, has allowed me to go through such ebbs and flows and keep coming back and knowing, having that long-term committed outlook that no matter what, the best is yet to come. No matter what, the best is yet to come. You know, if, if you're a believer and you believe there's a heaven and hell, and you believe you're going to heaven, guess what? The best is yet to come because heaven's better than earth, right? So no matter what happens in life, the best is yet to come. And if you have that positive outlook, hey, yeah, there's going to be some ups and downs. You know, Zig Ziglar used to say, you know, you know, win some, you lose some, and some get rained out. You know, sometimes it's not going to work out the way you hoped it would, but you just got to keep going because if you don't keep going, you quit, and quitters never win. That's and that's the secret. See, winners fail more than they win. The people who fail the most win the most. The more you try and keep trying and keep trying, understand failing is part of the game. Failing is good. Fail yourself to success. The more you fail, the more successful you become. So lessons in that. Yeah. And people don't see it. Because dressed up as a failure is dressed up as hard work. Is just dressed up as a nauseating experience. And so if I could go back to my dad and think and grow rich, there was a quote in Think and Grow Rich that I actually put underneath my picture in my high school yearbook. And it was a pretty cool quote. Most people don't understand it. In high school, it's a little bit, a little bit more um, intelligent a quote than people are used to. But the quote was that with each, seed, with each adversity, there is a seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Yes. With each adversity, there's a seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. So there's something in that adversity. If you know that going in, no matter what happens, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to grow from this. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's just having those types of thoughts and outlooks that propels you to expect to grow, learn and grow. And if you expect to learn and grow, you will learn and grow. That's good. That's the power of influence, man. Yeah. Um, you know what? You're, you're the father of two girls, right? Yes. They're both married. Yes. Both with kids. Yeah. Okay. So you're a grandfather. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Based on what you experienced by videotaping those couples lacking commitment to each other and hoping it would work out, based on that experience, did you take that information and pass it down to your daughters before they made a commitment? Did you Oh, absolutely. That? Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, my two son-in-laws, I am so blessed. I couldn't ask for, I couldn't dream of better husbands for my, for my kids, for my girls. And, and they tell me that 
their husbands is so great because of the standards that I set for them. That's gold. Yeah. So, and they, and I love that. I mean, when it, when it comes down to father's day and getting a card and they always are at going, go out of their way to express to me how grateful they are that I was the father I am because that has molded them and made them into who they are. You know, so. that is, that's very powerful. I, I always tell, um, you know, my friends and my family and especially those that are married and maybe with kids, maybe about to have kids. I always tell them, you know, just watch what you do because it's going to reflect on the second generation because people are watching, especially your kids, you know, and the way you are to their mother, that's the way they will expect their future man uh, to be to them, towards them. So the, ex the standard of expectation you, you're in control. Don't think school is going to do it. Don't think different friends are going to do it. Don't think TV is going to do it. It's on you because everything starts on you. So I, I admire that. And I've learned a lot personally. I'm, I'm being very, very honest with you. I've learned a lot personally over the years and it's, it's not, it's not an easy road, but it's worth it. <laughs> I look at it. Why? Because, the, because you commit and you don't back down from your commitments. That's the bottom line. You know, that's awesome. So um, let, let's get back to uh, the, the influence of business and things. Um, I met you in uh, direct sales, right? Uh, direct sales is what I, uh, is a direction that I went into when I left corporate America. Yes, I was doing real estate. Eventually, I, you know, you know the story, I think, too. Uh, yep. I became a, a broker, franchisee, but I was doing direct sales and I absolutely loved it. Uh, not even so much for the financial opportunity because we, we, all, we all get in. People get into direct sales to make more money. But they stick around, from my experience, based on the experience that they have and the growth that they're going through, the exposure that they have to personal growth and development, the leadership, the, uh, the mentors. And in my case, after spending about 10, 11 years in direct sales offline and online, it has given me a very strong foundation to actually do what I do today. And if it wouldn't be for that experience with your mentorship, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. That's the reality of things. And when, right now, you know, I've been getting, over the last several years, people are approaching me, people messaging, saying, you know, can you mentor me? Can you do, you do coaching one-on-one, stuff like that? I personally stopped doing coaching one-on-one. Okay, I did it before. Uh, but not anymore. Why? Because my focus is on a bigger client because I know if I could affect a client with, you know, 10, 20, 200, 500 employees, then with one approach, I could affect all those 500 people instead of spending time one-on-one, -on -one, if that makes sense. Yep, definitely. And uh, so going back is when people are approaching and saying, can you help? Can you do this? Can you do that? There are certain standards that I've learned and also learned through you and other people as well. When I needed a mentor, I didn't ask you, Eddie, can you mentor me? I remember the experience of coming back and saying, hey, you know what? Some people are telling me this is not going to work out. And you told me one thing, and I'll never forget it. You said, Raph, you have every right to listen to those that you love, but don't have the results you want. Or you could pay attention to those that have the results you want and do whatever it takes. Not in those words exactly, but that's the message. And I'll never forget it. And when you said that, a, a, a light went off in my head. It's like, I need to start paying attention because 
this dude's got what I want. <laughs> you know, not just financially, but the mindset, the firm belief, the posture, the swag, right? And so what I was, what I got from that is, okay, let me start doing everything Eddie's doing without asking him to hold my hand. And I believe it was like a month or two into doing business together. You told me, Raph, it's time for you to step up. And I'm like, I'd rather be dead right now than doing these events and speaking and all that stuff, you know. But it's something you told me to do. You didn't ask me to do it. You told me this is what has to be done. And fast forward, again, looking at it from an influence and mentorship standpoint, I remember there was a trip coming up to Miami, and I didn't it had nothing to do with me. And I just decided to ride your coattail because I wanted to, you know, see what you're going through. Go to a different state. You know, have your own expense. Put some skin in the game. And what I'm noticing is that a lot of people are not willing to do that. They want to be handheld. They want to be told, how do I do this? How do you do that? My answer is always simple. They think I'm an asshole for saying this. But I'm like, if you keep asking how, that means you didn't figure out why you're doing it to begin with. Yeah, the why, the, when the why is big enough, the how will follow, right? When you, when you have a, a deep burning desire, when you know where you want to go, and, that, and that's, that's you know, step one for everybody is why. Why am I doing this? What do I want to get out of it? And you got to define that. It has to be a clearly defined objective, no matter what it is. And, and if you have a firm objective, then the mind will go to work. What, what, you, what the mind thinks about comes about. You know, you got you, you to you create this environment where you're focusing on the desires that you want, the prize, where you want to go, what you want to be. And the more time you spend in that arena, it's like Zig Ziglar used to say, you got to feed your mind with the good, the clean, the pure, the powerful, and the positive. Because if, you, if you're focusing on trash, you're going to be attracted towards trash where, where focus goes, energy flows, right? But if you're focusing on success, and that is what, what I shared with you, Ralph, was what I learned from, from Tony Robbins was that if you want to be successful, study success. Do what successful people do, right? So the successful people are always at the top. They're, they're at the pinnacle. And, and at the pinnacle is a few, but at the base is a whole bunch of people. And down, down at the base, if you're hanging around in the back of the room, and you're listening to the nonsense of people talking about all the reasons why not and how difficult life is and how and, and those are the people that that you hang around with you start talking like them right you have to hang out with the people you want to be like so when you start hanging out with top producers what happens is you know metamorphosis occurs where where it's like osmosis it becomes part of you if you hang around with people that are success driven or success oriented, have a positive mental attitude that kind of rubs off on you and you start, you know, seeing it in that dimension. So we really have a, an opportunity every day of our lives, every minute to make a decision. And if, if the decision is a good decision, it'll draw you in a good direction. If the decision is a poor decision, it'll pour you, it'll, it'll, it'll bring you to poor direction. And one of the things that I pray on a daily basis is Lord lead me, in the direction you want me to go, guide my steps. You know, help me to make the right decisions in every decision that I make. And so, if you if you're focused on making the right decision, 
and you actually you know think about it, you you tend to make good decisions. You tend to lean in that area. But uh, you see, some people will hear this and they're going to say that's lunacy because that's not realistic. That's not what every day looks like. You know, yeah. I'm I'm more of a realist. I'm I can't call myself an optimist because optimist is an illusion. Realist is what I got in front of me. So they right. like, get rid of that crutch. I tell them. <laughs> that's a crutch. You're leaning on a crutch. When you, when, when you say, you know, oh, I'm skeptical, you know, uh, you know, that's your excuse for not succeeding. That's right. I love you, it. You keep saying you're a skeptic, you're making an excuse for your lack of success. Wake up. Planting a seed of failure in the back of your head, just that's in right. case, to tell yourself, I, w- I was right. Remember, I was right. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody wants to be right. And it's easy to be right. Look, I, I was in the firehouse, right? And I love these guys. Don't get me wrong. But at the firehouse kitchen table, guys would bitch, moan, and complain about the stupidest stuff. And it was negative, 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 negative. And I'd get up and, and walk out. and see, you guys are worse than a bunch of old ladies. You got the world by the, by the, by the balls. You're sitting here. You're getting paid. We, we, got a, we got a gym upstairs. We got a ping pong table. We got TVs. We cook. We eat. Fire run comes in. We run out. We get our work done. We come back. This is like a clubhouse. This is great. And, and, and they're paying you. And so they'd be complaining about the percentage of raise on an annual basis. But what, what happened was if you hang out with people that always complain, guess what? You become a complainer. That's a clue. You're headed in the wrong direction. If you start getting used to complaining about stuff and looking at what's wrong instead of what's right, that's the easy way out. The harder way is to look for what's right and to accentuate the positives and eliminate the negatives. That's the harder thing to do. That's why few people succeed and a whole bunch of people fail. Because they're suffering from what I call stinking thinking. Right? They, they got to give themselves a checkup from the neck up. You got to really think about what you're thinking about. You got to guard your attitude. You got to guard your words. That's right. Self-audit. Very rarely done. So you mentioned the firehouse, um, and you also mentioned being in a video production business. So when, when did you become a firefighter? Uh, I became a firefighter in 1992. So, so I got married in in uh in 82 had a video production business started out as as a as a private investigator did some sales insurance sales done a lot of different stuff tried a lot of different things but i always had for, from about a year into my marriage i started my video production business so i had that we had the restaurant okay so i had several interests going you know all at the time while I, while i was a firefighter it was kind of funny uh, one of my buddies, you know, when in, 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 in the fire department, you know, every several years tests come out. So if you want to advance from being a firefighter, the next rank up is lieutenant and then it's captain and then it's chief. Right. So so a lot of guys got into the books and studied because they wanted to advance to become a lieutenant. And, and at the time, one of my buddies who was studying said, Ed, man, if you study to be a lieutenant, you know, I mean, you could go right up this job and, and become a chief because he saw that as an entrepreneur, you know, I was doing different things than the, than the rest of the guys were doing. Um, and he said, you, you, you become a chief. And I said, but, but what if I'm already making more than a chief? Which I was at the time, you know, <laughs> on my side business. <laughs> so, so as I had the, the, that, as I, as I, as I had the job, 
I was making more on the side than my wife and my occupations combined. And so when you double or triple what you're currently making and you don't have to jeopardize that, you don't have to leave what you're doing, you have the benefits, you know, you can do multiple things. You can own multiple businesses. I mean, look at the most successful people in the world. You know, they have multiple interests. And so, uh, so yeah, so, 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 so back then it was kind of, kind of unique and funny because, you know, everybody has this perception. They have their, their blinders on, they had their limited vision, but, uh, but I always saw something bigger. So I always was an entrepreneur from the time I had my own paper route at 12 years old, you know, uh, to, so, so I've always looked at opportunities, opportunities that bound us there everywhere. And uh, I'm excited about a lot of stuff that's going on, you know, in the marketplace today. The economy's doing great. There's a lot of, a lot of incredible new breakthrough technologies that are happening. A lot of opportunity out there. There's definitely a lot of opportunity out there, but um, I personally believe that most people will not be able to pull off what you pulled off by having a full-time job and having multiple businesses going on at the same time. And I think it comes down to personality and self-discipline. So knowing you already, you are very, very regimented, very self-disciplined. I mean, talk about systems. I learned the word system and what it entails from you. You know, and it grew from there, but you gave me that foundation. So you're very systematic in how you do things. Even when it wasn't direct sales, you always had these formulas. You, like, everything was scripted out, you know, the, the whole funnel creation. And there, there's an adage, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. So Sorry. I know that's how you uh, approach everything else. So, like, when I tell people, oh, you know, don't you believe in multiple streams of income? I'm like, sure. But they're pulling... 500 from here, 2,000 from another source, 1,500 from another source. I'm like, what if you applied all of that energy into one source, get it to a multiple five-figure steady monthly income or even six figures depending on the business, and then put your attention and focus to something else? Otherwise, you, they just stand there and like, you know, you're in a circus and it keeps spinning these plates and you keep coming back to them, you know, and just get the other plate going so it wouldn't stop. Yeah, but no, no, I, I no, agree. You're, you're, very, you're very systematic. You, you wouldn't yeah. do something. What I do, what, when, I, when I engage in something, I'm all out focused on that one thing. There you go. For that period of time. You know, matter of fact, it, uh, I learned how to work. I was working with this lady from Texas, and she was kind of funny. She said, she said Ed, you know, you might be able to work as hard as me, but you ain't going to be able to outwork me. You know, she says, I work from can to can and ain't to faint. Guess <laughs> what? I outworked her. <laughs> I mean, she just put that challenge out there. I wore her out. You know, she was doing three-way calls with me at the time. And from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to sleep, man, I had an objective. I had a goal. And in that company, I'll tell you what it was. It was Zig Ziglar. You know, Zig Ziglar, a lot of people know who Zig is. Uh, Zig had formed the Zig Ziglar Network, and, uh, and they put out, um, they put out uh, a challenge for, for the top organization builders, and uh, whoever would, would be in the top 15 would become a chairman founder of the company and actually own a piece of the company. And so I went after it, man, full throttle. And uh, I became number five uh, money earner in that company, became a chairman founder. But, but it's just that kind of thing, being laser focused, knowing what your objectives are and, and what you have to do to achieve them. And, and, and just, it just comes down to a work ethic. You know, all it comes down to is creating a plan of action and then being relentless you know, in, in accomplishing 
what, what you're looking to accomplish. You know, don't look left, don't look right. Some will, some won't, so what next? And you just keep going. And, and once you get things going, you know, there's so many great books written out there, you know, to master something you got to do 10,000 times. And I always break things down to simple uh, increments. And uh, like I learned from Zig, you know, a habit is created by doing something 21 days in a row. So whenever you're getting started with something new, don't even think about it until you've got those 21 days under your belt of, of doing the same thing over and over and over again, regardless, regardless of what it is. That's how you create, you know, uh, a habit and that's how you create a success formula for your success because you don't know what your ratios are going to be when you first start out. And the problem with most people is most people quit before they get started. They get a little objection. They get a little, they get a little negative feedback and quite often it's from what I call the dream stealers. Quite often it's from the people that are closest to them that want to keep them where they're at because they like them where they're at. But as soon as you start talking about elevating yourself or doing something different, so if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this, this is valuable stuff. The people that love you quite often are your biggest adversaries. They're the ones that tell you all the reasons why it won't work, how you're wasting your time, how you dream it, you're a dreamer, you know, don't do that. I mean, go, go to school, get an education, you know, get, get a real job. And you're talking about doing something out of the box. Let me tell you something. It takes out of the box thinking to do something special. You, you have to be willing to realize that other people that want to uh, tear you down, you, you, you have to surround yourself with the people that are like-minded. There's an old, old phrasing, an old, an old saying that says you either have to change the people you hang around with or you got to change the people you hang around with. You know, either you got to be an influence on them and change their thinking, which is the harder thing to do, but you got to change and, and, and work with other people. That's right. Because when you got other people, when you got people that are holding you back, you got to realize you have to make uh, decisions to, uh, to remove yourself from that environment that is, is, is keeping you down. That's, that's golden right there. Wow. I'm taking some notes too. Um, you referenced Zig Ziglar several times already. Now, I can clearly tell that he's been a major influence uh, on your development. Is that correct? Yeah, big time. Did, did you ever get a chance to meet him or work with him directly? or you just uh, Yeah, so, so I joined the Zig Ziglar Network, and, and Zig had put out you know, this challenge for the top 15 organization builders to become a chairman founder. And one of my proudest achievement moments was the day my phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was Zig Ziglar on the other line calling me to congratulate me. I was like blown away. It wasn't his secretary. It wasn't somebody from the company. It was Zig himself called me to congratulate me. So I got a chance to work with him. Uh, matter of fact, I put an event on out here in New Jersey and, and he came out. My wife and I had lunch with Zig. I don't think till this day she realizes what a special man he was. You know, uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a really big name in the space of sales, you know, uh, personal development, direct sales. I mean, I run into people from corporate and they're like top level execs and they're in sales and they, they, they got his stuff in their offices, on their bookshelves. I mean, Dick is a pretty big name out there. Dick's a master. I mean, he's one of the greatest all time. He's just, uh, and unfortunately, he passed away, but he was in his 80s. So, you know, anybody who makes it into their 80s, I'd say they lived a full life. He lived a full life. 
but he had so much to contribute and there's so much great information and it, and it spans the gamut. It's not, it's not just business and sales. I mean, he has a, he has a whole program on how to raise positive kids in the negative world. That's right. Courtship after marriage, all different subject matters that, and, and I love listening to Zig, you know, he talks with that, with that Southern twang and he's funny and, you know, just, uh, but his, but his messages are, are endless. Just, j- j- just will live forever. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely love it. It's timeless advice. Yep. Um, what I want to do is I want to um, ask you this question, and I know we didn't get into um, this. We touched on this a little bit, but um, you were active on nine eleven, and you started in, uh, as a fireman in 1992, right? When right. did you retire? I retired in 2002. 2002. So shortly after nine eleven. Yeah. All right. It's not eleven had nothing to do with the retirement. Oh, it had nothing to do with it. It was just at that time because of the business and everything. Yeah, everything else that was going on in my life. Yeah. Okay. So, can we talk a little bit about the experience of nine eleven? Where you were, you know, how it uh, transpired, your experience, and also your experience shortly after. Yeah. So. Um, because could be you know, there's a reason why I'm asking, because that was a big event for everybody. Yeah. And. Big events, people tend to remember exactly where they were, what they were doing, and how it made them felt because an experience got attached to their nervous system, so it's memorable. If you ask somebody, what did you have for breakfast on Tuesday, they won't be able to tell you because it's not relevant. And moments like this, I personally believe, have a lot of influence on an individual life, a professional life, uh, when, how they look at family, right? and how they start thinking about the future when big events transpire in their lives. Yeah, so before I tell you the story, I'm gonna reference back to what you talked about being a co-author of Chicken Soup for the Network Marketing Soul. And um, you know, what happened with that was a friend of mine, Bill Hyman, who, who's a legend in the networking industry, uh, contacted me and wanted me to um, write a story that they were submitting hundreds of stories to be selected for this Chicken Soup uh, book. And, and, and I said, you know, Bill, at the time, um, I said, I, I really, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing that because part of it has to do, the large part of it has to do with me being a New York City firefighter and, and doing network marketing simultaneously. And, um, you know, I don't want anybody feeling pity for me or anything like that. It was still fresh, you know, it was still a couple of years after 9-11. And, and, um, and he said, Ed, I'll, I'll, I'll assign you a ghostwriter. And he'll just interview you. You know, they won't submit anything unless you approve it. So this ghostwriter interviews me, writes a story, and uh, it just wasn't me. I read it. I can't. Uh, I wouldn't approve this. So, so immediately I started writing, and and I sent it in. And Bill loved it. You know, it's right at the in the front of the book. It's one of the first few stories. And and what I what I did was talk about how nine what happened nine eleven how it affected me. And what happened in the ap- aftermath for me? And uh, you know what happened was I was on duty um, at at a firehouse in Staten Island, as most people know. New York is comprised of five boroughs. So I started out in Manhattan at a firehouse, worked a little bit in Brooklyn, worked worked in Staten Island, and I was on duty that day. And as firefighters, we had these uh, shifts. There were two shifts a day: one from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then one from 6 p.m. to 9 a.m. So I was that 
that day I was working, um, that night before I was working the night shift and, uh, and, and I was just in the locker room at the time and we had a TV, little TV in the locker room and I saw the, the reports that, you know, a plane had crashed into one of the towers. And I said, hey, guys, you know, there's 11 guys on duty right now at a firehouse between a truck and an engine. I said, hey, guys, you know, the, the, uh, a plane just hit. The, and they're like, yeah, right, sure, sure, sure. I said, no, seriously, it looks like, you know, plane. And we thought at the time somebody had an accident, you know, a small plane or something. So uh, a bunch of us were all in it, it, at, at the watch uh, at, the, at the firehouse, and we're watching this TV, and we witnessed the second plane come in and hit. And when that happened, our hearts just sunk. Immediately, we knew we were under attack. You know, we knew this was not an accident. And, um, you know, so, you know, we're all watching on TV while the two towers collapse. And when that happened, it was so difficult to see because we knew how many guys we'd have committed. I used to work at Engine 4, Ladder 15 down in South Street Seaport. Twin Towers was what well, we were second to engine there. So I've been in those towers, been up and down the stairs, been up, and, and we would have hundreds of guys committed on, on, on you know, little nothings. Wow. And I knew immediately hundreds of guys died. I just knew, you know. And so um, went on the roof of a firehouse. We're seeing the smoke come up from, from Manhattan. And uh, it was the most horrific time of our lives. Couldn't even imagine it. You know, the phones were not working. You couldn't get through. My wife didn't know if I had responded, if I was there, if I was in Staten Island, where I was. We, we weren't able to connect till late in the afternoon that day. And one of the, one of the horrible things about for, for, for firefighters was that on 9-11, planes came in at 9-11 and those shifts that start and end at 9 a.m what you have is you have guys coming in and guys leaving so there's more guys in the firehouse at what we call change of tours than any, any other time so guys we had more guys running in to help out than were actually on duty at that period of time one of my friends was at actually driving home to staten island from downtown manhattan went over the Brooklyn Bridge, heard it on the radio, turned back around to help out, went in, and Eric lost his life that day. So what happened um, afterwards? I know, I mean, there was a big mess. You know, all the roads were closed. Nobody was allowed to come close to it. But um, so there were, you what, know, what was the environment like at the firehouse, you know, days after? Oh, just horrible. Um, immediately after, you know, was just search and rescue. We were going in, you know, trying to find out if there's anybody trapped, anybody we could, you know, save. And um, we had, based on the town in which we were from, we had so many people whose parents worked in downtown Manhattan. And uh, we, we had a lot of friends that lost their lives today, not just firefighters, but people who were in the towers at work. And, um, you know, so when I went in, um, and saw the devastation. I mean, everything was, we, 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 we had huge eye beams bent, twisted and torn in half, hanging overhead. And we're going in these little crevices 
looking and, and you look around and out of all the debris, there's no semblance of an office building. You would think you'd see doors and toilets and desks and chairs and stuff like that. Everything was pulverized mm-hmm. to the size of like softballs. You just couldn't make anything of anything. And there was no way, you know, people could survive that over that period of time. And there was, there was a small group that was trapped, um, Ladder seven, lucky seven. They were, you know, the day within 24 hours they had removed them. But after that, you know, there was really no life there. Um, So, you know, when we came back, it was day after day of funerals and mourning, and all we did was watch the news and what was happening, and it was devastating. It just, you know, tore away at your mind. And um, in the initial stages. Once everybody started responding, you know, you, you got to see the total different dimensions of, of human life. And that is this tragedy of these crazy people that, that, that killed everybody to the whole world responding. Literally, there were, there were, there were firefighter crews flying in from other countries, from Germany from California, from all over to help in the search and rescue. And uh, people would not, if you were a firefighter, you were treated with a hero's adulation. And nobody would take your money. We, we'd go into the supermarket, they, they'd give us food. People would come to the firehouse just donating everything. I remember one woman, you know, had a, had a brought a cake and uh, said, you know, she wrote a note that I've lived here for 20 years around the block from this firehouse. And never once did I come in to thank you guys for what you do. It was a tough time to get through. And um, I reached a point in time where, you know, I said, I got to pull myself out of this. Because if that's all you think about, if that's all you're watching, if that's all you're seeing, it could destroy you. And it did. It destroyed marriages. It destroyed people. And uh, about three weeks after... I made a conscious decision from all of this positive motivational training that I have gone through. I made a decision to switch my focus and I switched my focus into my business and I started making phone calls again and I started setting up meetings and I started setting up conference calls and I started setting up, you know, going places. And I was really surprised at how quickly I could change my mindset from being in total despair to being upbeat, thinking about the future, having a hope for the future, you know, thinking about stuff, influence other people's lives. You know, Zig's, Zig's philosophy is you can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. And it's always about people helping people. If you're looking at it from people's perspective, if you're serving the public and you look at it through their eyes, what are they looking for? What are their needs? What do they want? And if you're just a servant, if you become a servant leader, it's really easy to do. Because you're not in it for your own interest. You're in it for them. And if you're helping other people, it makes you feel good. And you end up accomplishing things, you know, in the process. So, you know, that's, that's the story I wrote that went into that book. And, um, you know, so I've, I've taken all these years until this day, I'm learning and growing. There's so much to do. But to have that foundation, and I tell people, dive into personal growth and development. There's some great books out there, and you're going to hear names. You're going to hear words. When you hear somebody 
talk about a book that sounds really great and you haven't read it yet, write that down. Go get that book. Get, get, listen to books on audio. You're driving around. That's one of the things Zig, Zig taught me was that, you know, you can get a college ed- education driving around in your car, you know, just listening to good, positive stuff. University on wheels. Crap, you know, so we get to choose and pick. Um, but a lot of people don't develop that habit. If you develop the habit of reading every day, even if it's just 15 minutes or listening to positive motivational audios every day, that stuff will influence you. You know, again, it's you choose what goes into your mind. All my vehicles since 2005 have been universities on on wheels. Yeah. I picked that up really quick. I'm like, what a great idea. You know, what a wonderful idea for a college dropout. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll never forget you um, sharing the story of one day you were on a treadmill, you were working out, and you're reciting all these affirmations, and your wife comes out. She's like, Eddie, you're brainwashed. And you said, (laughs) That's right. The question is, what are you washing your brains with? That's right. You know, you can, you can wash your brains with who got raped, who got murdered, who got robbed. You, you can wash your brains with all that nonsense. I mean, it drives me crazy. But until this day, I mean, my wife watches that stupid show, The Bachelor. And I watch it for like two seconds, and it's idiotic, stupid stuff. But people get sucked into that. And I say, what is that doing for your mind? It's creating mush. It's creating mush. Another study, I mean, I'm going to keep talking about Zig. Zig, Zig backed his, 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 all of his premises up with actual scientific studies. And, and there was a study done with, about TV. How much TV, how much time do you spend watching TV? And they, and they went into a Fortune 500 company, and they went and interviewed everybody from the janitor to the CEO. And you know what they saw across the board? The higher the level, the less TV they watched. Wow. The lower the level, the more TV they watched. It's a direct, it's, it, it's the income reducer, the television. The more time you spend in front of a TV, the less money you make. Bottom line, you're wasting your life sitting there watching hours and hours and hours of goobly goo garbage. See, I never heard that study, but... Thanks to you, I actually stopped watching TV since, uh, what, 2004, 2005. I mean, the only thing that I watched was the NBA Finals. That's it. <laughs> yeah, me but, too. Right, 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 right now, people will say, oh, yeah, I don't watch TV. I'm like, yeah, that's because nobody wants to have cable because of all the Netflix and the Hulus. I'm like, I freaking stopped watching it when everybody was sucked into the news and all the other programs. You know, I talk about Bachelor. Um, I've seen um, somebody say, is like watching a bachelor is the most one of the most interesting activities for women. Why? Because they're watching a guy, they're obsessed with a show about a guy who's dating multiple women at the same time. In reality, they would hate the guy, do not want to give him a minute of their time. <laughs> Nobody wants to date somebody who's dating multiple women, but they're obsessed with watching the TV. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. You probably understand it better than I do. To, to me, it just doesn't. I don't. I don't. I don't, and I don't want to understand it. <laughs> no, it's an income-reducing activity. Like exactly. So all of that quote-unquote brainwashing, right, actually has helped you transform and get over that hurdle of going through the experience of, you know, 9-11 and everything. And I go completely um, on the same page with you. Where you spend most of your time focusing on, that's what's going to expand in your life. And yeah, so all that brainwashing has helped you with emotional intelligence, right? That's what so here, here, here's the great saying. 
Uh, I got to teach this to some kids recently, and they loved it. What you think about comes about. That's right. What you think about comes about. Is it backed by action? What you think about comes about. Of course, it's got to be backed by action. But what you think about, you end up gravitating towards. Yes, absolutely. So it's just a matter of choosing judiciously and smart. Be smart about it. What you choose to feed into your mind. What goes into your eyes? What goes into your ears? Who are you hanging around with? You know, what, what are you doing with your time? And if it's a waste of time, you know, when I was a kid, I, I've never used this, by the way, in, in any, any seminar that, that, that I've done. But uh, I remember my aunt and uncle and my parents used to refer to people as a waste. They're a waste because they do nothing. They're a waste. They're not productive. You know, and they would call somebody a waste. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that don't do anything. They don't contribute at all. You know, I teach, I teach, you know, you mentioned all I have grandkids. It is great to have an influence now on them. It's amazing. They, they, I think they, I think they gravitate towards me more than anybody so far as, you know, teaching and learning and having fun. Um, But, but I teach them that in everything you do, you can make things better. You can make things worse. It's really your choice. Leave every situation, everything you ever do in your life better than it was before you got there. Be somebody who's a contributor and not a leech who sucks things out of everything. Be the person who makes stuff better. So wherever you go, whatever you do, take a look at your surroundings and then be the type of person that thinks, how can I make this better than it is? That's but by doing that, you become somebody that's respected, somebody that other people want to follow. You become an influencer. Exactly. So um, all these influential aspects, people, experiences in your life have caused you to influence thousands. Is it over 100,000 people? That um, you, your sales career... I, yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely over. But definitely tens definitely of thousands. There's a, definitely over hundreds of thousands of people. Actually. Yeah, hundreds. So, of I mean, if if I look at the last um, thirty years, and, and I count up the numbers of people that have signed into or signed up for or been at an event or been on a conference call or been on a webinar, it's hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So all these little experiences, I mean, we call them little from a bigger picture standpoint, but at the time they're huge, right? From your dad to Zig to, you know, events from Tony Robbins, your business experience, right? From being uh, a firefighter, all of these experiences have led you to influence hundreds of thousands of people. And, mil- and millions of people in the future because this podcast episode is going to live on forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what, Ralph? The best is yet to come. That's right. I'm telling you, the best is yet That's to right. come. I, I firmly believe that. I believe that there are bigger things, more things we're going to do over time there's, there's, that are going to have an impact and, and you know, make a major difference for people. Sign me up for that. That's good. So what is your, if you were to put it in a sentence, what does 
influence mean to you? I know it's hard for a sentence, but <laughs> give, give me your definition. Well, there's negative influences and, and there's positive influences, right? Right. So, so influence is, is the ability to make a difference in somebody's life for the good or for the bad. Right. And circling back, you said just make sure, be cognitive about to improve every situation you enter. It's like money, right? You know, uh, the, 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 the thing out there for a lot of people is, you know, money is the root of all evil. Money, you know, all these rich people are mean, they're, they're evil, they're this, they're that. And, and my dad put it best for me. And this is the most profound thing about money, he said. He said, Ed, money will make a good person better and a bad person worse. Money is a magnifier of who you really are, of your true self. You could do a lot of good things with money. And there are a lot of people, I mean, we are the most giving nation in the world, right? When it comes down to actually, as a, as a society, reaching out and helping other people, nobody is like the United States of America. Nobody, no country ever in the history of the world has done more to reach out and, 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 and help other people. So we are the richest nation on the planet too. But a lot of people look at us and say we're evil, right? Because all they care about is money. And that's not true. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Meaning that if money was everything to you and you, and you, and you went after that and you didn't care about the impact it had on other people, all you cared about was the acquisition of money, yes, that's evil. But if you're feeding starving kids with money, if you're helping your church with money, if you're paying for your kids' education with money, if you're providing a world experience of traveling with your family, if you're feeding food to people with your money, it's good. If you're making a positive impact on others because you've been blessed to acquire money, money's a really good thing. And like Zig used to say, you know, if somebody tells you they're, they're not interested in money, they'll lie about other things too. <laughs> he said, money is like oxygen. When you need it, you really need it. <laughs> That's right. It's a matter of priorities, purpose over profits. Profits are important, but without purpose, what's the use? Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Eddie, I would love to have you on our future episode. Um, I do have um, other questions in regards to business and leadership development, um, recruiting for everyone that's listening. They are in a recruiting type of business, whether it's real estate, whether it's direct sales, with whether it's whatever. I mean, recruiting is part of life. Everything we do has to do with recruiting. It's part of sales. So uh, we will have uh, another episode on that, and I'd love to have you jump on as a guest for that as well. I really appreciate your time. Really always appreciate your knowledge and uh, experience and wisdom. Can't wait to uh, release this episode. And uh, looking forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks, Ralph. I look forward to it too. Thank you, buddy. Take care. 
Thank you all for listening to this episode. We appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast already, please show us your support by subscribing and leaving a positive review to help us advance on the chart. You can always connect with me on social media by searching for Rafael Mavi, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you have any questions or just want to drop a line to say hello, the fastest way to get a hold of me is on my Instagram. Until next time.